This is the Conduit Church Podcast. It is our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this week's teaching. We are well over 500 families, getting close to 600 families that have been set free by you. You. There's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions on the internet about what's right and what's wrong in the world. But it turns out you can do more than just tweet about injustice. You can actually do something about it. And you and I, in history, will one day be able to look back when they say, what would I have done if I'd have known that this was happening in the world? What would I have done? You may be asking whether it was the Holocaust or whether it was in uh, the 1800s in America with, with slavery rampant, what would I have done? You don't have to wonder because now we get to answer that question because as Eric said, there are more slaves alive right now than in the entire history of the world combined. Like right now they're alive in just Southeast Asia alone, one million of them. And I, man, this is a God-sized dream but let's set them all free. We can't do that alone, but if we continue to beat this drumbeat, if we continue to incorporate and recruit other churches into it, we can, we get to. We get to be a part of that. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, more and more people that were slaves are no longer. Can you think of a better way to do church? Like if you rejected Jesus, you know that's what you're rejecting, right? The idea that Jesus wants slaves set free, that's what you're rejecting. And the fact that he lets us do it is just mind-blowing. He lets us get to be a part of that. So if you want to be a part, on average, we've done, like I said, it's getting close to 600. We know that it's about average $2,225 per family. That's what the average is right now. And that will uh, purchase their freedom out of the kiln. It will buy them a rickshaw so they have a family business and set up for the future for $2,225. So if the Lord puts it on your heart, you can use the QR code to donate. You can just donate the way you normally would. If you are check people, we have the check, uh, what are those called? Offering boxes in the back. (laughs) I'm kind of new to this. Uh, (laughs) So pray about it. Pray if the Lord would have you Set one, set, set one person free, right? What is it, with average five to six people? That's a few hundred dollars for one person. You know, that's something that you can do. Pray about it. So would you open your Bibles to the book of First John chapter two? Those watching online, we miss you. Pray that God is moving in your homes just like he's moving with us here today. As we head into uh, 1 John, I want to show you, many of you already saw this. This has been this drumbeat that has been beating for the last few years. It's the, the rise of the nuns. Now, not the Whoopi Goldberg nuns, Sister Act nuns. I'm looking for laughing because you're the only ones old enough to know what I'm even talking about. <laughs> Yeah, the flying nun. I mean, Whoopi actually used to be funny before The View, like I remember. But they, uh, but anyway, not that kind of nun. This is a nun that doesn't believe, uh, believe anymore. But the problem over the years when you hear these drum beats is that you miss something that is not immediately obvious, which is we, we don't know what they don't believe in necessarily, but what do they believe in? And so in the last 
few months over the last year, the Pew organization has done research, specifically what does it mean to be a nun, an N-O-N-E. So you're filling out these, are you Baptist, are you charismatic, Pentecostal, Catholic, whatever. But then nun is the largest. So what does that mean? Does that mean there's a growing like army of Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins? Like, are they the angry, grumpy atheists on the rise? And the answer is no. No, in fact, what the answer is is that most of the quote-unquote nuns still believe in God. Like, did you know that? Those that would say none, they still believe in God or another higher power, but very uh, few go to religious services regularly. Now, why is that good news for us? Because it means that they've not given up on religion, Christianity, whatever. They just want truth. Like, that's literally what they're seeking, and they maybe didn't find it in an organization that they were in, or there's, this, this report goes deeply into the reasons why people have walked away from quote-unquote organized religion. By the way, the Latin, the word religion means to bind up, right? So if you're anti-religion, me too, because Jesus didn't come to bind us up, right? He came to set us free. The, this research says also that most say that religion does some harm, but many also think it does some good. So if you're listening to Bill Maher, which, you know, he's been a little more loud these days, but he, you get him talking about religion and Christianity, and he thinks we're all crazy and kooky and dangerous, but that's not what the, the vast majority of the nuns, the, especially in their 20s, are saying. And it says that most nuns reject the idea that science can explain everything. Did you know that? Like in the sciency area that we've just came out of, like the, the religious nuns, there's just as many of those as us kind of questioning, oh, maybe they got it, maybe they don't. And, uh, there was a, a joke that's been floating around and there's a lot of uh, colorful metaphors in it. So I'm going to uh, do my best to not use those on a Sunday morning. But uh, there's a, a comedian that's on the rise and if I could remember his name, I would 100% tell you what it is. I just can't remember it right now. But he, he's talking about the idea in science that if you believe that something came from nothing. Have you seen this little bit? And he's like, uh, he goes on to say, well, so you believe something comes from nothing, but you know what nothing is? Nothing. So if you believe that something came from nothing, you've got a pretty doggone magical nothing. Like, and then he goes on to say, and so, and if you're an atheist, you believe that once you die, you, uh, you go back into nothing. He's like, back into your creator, you mean? That's heaven. If nothing was your creator and you go back to nothing, it's just another religion that science can't test, taste. So it's another version of it. And that's, by the way, from a secular comedian, not a Christian guy at all. That's what the point is. There's something out there that even the most ardent of questioners and seekers can't put their finger on and are acknowledging that even science cannot answer it all. And so the question is, what do we do with that? Like, if, if there's so many people seeking, First John has the answer to that. Because what we're all seeking, what these young nuns are seeking, what our brothers and sisters in Asia are seeking, is just life. Just living life in peace. Jesus actually referred to it as shalom. Now, look, I know that causation, correlation, right, doesn't necessarily mean the same thing here. But if you track the rise of the nuns, leaving church, leaving Christianity, leaving their, their bedrock of their faith, 
And then you cross-reference that with the last few years of the rise in the mental health crisis in the country. Did you notice that they happen to carry the same trajectory? And my point is, is that whatever ideology that we're seeking, whatever one that our culture has told us that we need to seek, isn't working. It's demonstrably not working. So what does the Bible tell us? What does the Bible inform us on? And is it possible that, I don't know, floating it out there, that the Bible happened to be right? Here's what 1 John tells us. Remember, this is John writing to a church who is in many ways exactly like where we are right now. People have come in where they were called Gnostics. If you've heard of agnostic, right, which is I don't 100% know what I believe, maybe this or that. Gnostics were ones that they, I know what I believe. And what I believe is that Jesus wasn't the Christ, that he wasn't resurrected from the dead. They had all this whole deception that was going on with just in a few decades of the ascension of Jesus. This is not new. And so John, writing to this church, we're going to start in uh, verse 18, and then I'm going to go to verse 29. So if you've not found 1 John yet, like me, you have a couple more seconds. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write you because you do not know the truth. I'm writing you because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Now, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And as for you, speaking to you here, Conduit Church in the 11 a.m. service and you watching on the live stream, as for you, See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, it will also remain, you will also remain in the Son, in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a light. It's a lamp. It's the one that you promised us that it would be. And I pray that as we seek your truth today, Lord, that you would move in the hearts and the minds of each of us, giving us each the Lord, just the supernatural connection from our hearts into our minds. Father, I lift up Tom and Leanne McCoy this morning at Thompson Station Church. This is his last Sunday as the lead pastor. He's 35 years of faithfulness, 35 years of long obedience in the same direction, and he's stepping into a new season. Would you 
cover him and his wife with peace and the church as they make a transition in with Pastor Sam, that that transition would go well. And in this room, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Jesus, you are the pastor of this church. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. As for you, 11 a.m., see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. The word eternal life, we've heard it before, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? We, we know this. He will give him eternal life. But the word life is a word zoe. Many of you remember uh, the, the Christian uh, trio Zoe Girl. Actually, I, maybe many might be a strong word, but two or three of you probably remember. The, hey, do you all know, you know who Elisa Childers is if I say that name? That was her group, Zoe Girl. So Zoe just simply means the God kind of life. Like it's just this, to, to put it differently, it's peace. It's a shalom. It's what we're all looking for at the end of the day. And we're going to try to find it in our career path. We're going to try to find it in our relationships. We're going to try to find it in a hundred different ways, including religion. And Jesus is the only way. Everything else is an add-on. The only way to find that that's what John is saying decades after the ascension of Christ, that it's still Jesus. You can make up new stuff and you're just climbing the wrong mountain. It was uh, last year that Ethan and I climbed Machu Picchu. And I don't know if you've climbed Machu Picchu, but you get to the Machu Picchu and then they say, oh, and hey, if you want to, there's this other thing and it's called, what was it called? Wanu Pichu? They, they got to get better names. Wanu Pichu. And it, it's like Mordor. Like you're looking at Machu Picchu and we're looking up and they say, hey, you guys want to climb that? Now, look, Ethan was born a little later in my life, which means I'm, you know, I'm not as good as I once was, right? But how do you say no to your 17-year-old son wants to hike to, of course, the answer is no, because it's a complete sentence, but I have too much pride. And so we begin the hike up Mordor. And there's moments of hiking Mordor where you're literally, there's a ledge where if he falls, I'm just jumping because I'm not going to explain that to his mom. Like, I'm not. That's a better option than me going home and saying, well, sorry about that. That's on me. <laughs> um, and we get to the top, and there's this, well, actually, before we get to the top, like, we've been out in a while, and you start to ask people coming back down, going, are we, are we kind of close? Like, is it, is it worth it? Is it enough? And everybody, I swear to you, everybody for about an hour said, you got five more minutes. I, I bought it for like the first 30 minutes, and then I'm like, I don't know, despondent, but downtrodden. There was a moment where my soul was being crushed, and I finally reached, we reached the top, and it was like actually worth it. Like it was amazing. So we post a little photo, and I get 400 comments about Ethan's abs, and I'm like, but you know, there's like Machu Picchu behind the abs. Like, I know, but that was impressive. How do you do that? <laughs> but we're looking at the beauty of this view and this, like, wow. And you know what the bummer of it all was? 
We couldn't take it with us. We had to go back down again. It wasn't permanent. It was a great hike on the wrong mountain. And I want to show you this morning that with John, there's different mountains that we can hike. There's different mountains uh, that have been ideologies born from mountains. And if you've got your if you've got your hike on the wrong mountain, you're going to see something real beautiful, and eventually you're going to have to hike your full-figure butt like mine right back down again because I, I, I can't take any of it with me. Now, that said, <laughs> he talks a lot here about Antichrist, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Depending on your eschatology, there is a world figure that will arise that the Old Testament calls the son of perdition, all these different... He's got great names, by the way. I don't know who his PR guy was, but great names. But one of them is Antichrist. And Antichrist simply means in place of Christ, against, opposed to Christ, which Jesus says, if you're not with me, uh, you're against me. So if you're in place of Christ, you are against Christ. That's all Antichrist means. But he's saying, yeah, eventually there's one coming, but the spirit of Antichrist is already here, in place of Christ. Now, that said, it's informative for us to think that through because the idea of this Antichrist figure is that he is going to come and try to set up a false peace Okay, what did we just say we're all seeking right now? Peace. We're speaking just fulfillment and peace. That's what the shalom of God. He's going to come and set up a false peace. I don't know that, I don't believe that he thinks it's going to be a false peace. I just think that I'm in place of Christ. I can do this and I'll be the one to set up peace. And what happens when he sets up his own peace? War. Over and over again, that's human history. It's the future. But think of that on a global scale and bring it back down and zoom it to your own heart, to my own heart. If I am putting something in place of Christ to try to bring peace, it ends in war inside of me. That's what James says. Why is it that your members war against each other? You, in your own heart, you have this war going on. Is not it because, right, that you, uh, your lust, your, you talk, and basically you could cross-reference it with what Mo taught just a couple weeks ago, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and it always ends up with your members warring inside. And so much of what I think we see played out on that chart that I showed you as people have disconnected from Christ, that they're connecting with a, a, an extreme uptick in uh, mental and emotional health damage in our world, I don't think that's a coincidence because they're just seeking peace. They're just seeking shalom, but they climbed the wrong mountain and it didn't work. They got to go back down again. I want to show you from 1 John that there's a peace that's available to you, this eternal life that he speaks of. Eternal means no beginning and no end, okay? So what does that mean? In Christ, your eternal life doesn't start in heaven. It already started. Are you participating in it now? Are you participating in the shalom that Jesus promised now? What John lays out for us is very simple. Whatever is coming out of your branches is coming from the roots, the language he uses in John 15 is the exact same language he's using here. Remain in him. Remain. Remain. John 15, remain in me as I remain in you. Those were Jesus' words, and he was speaking specifically of vines and branches. He was speaking horticulturally, and where is light kept? Photosynthesis. Remember two weeks ago, Mo talked about photosynthesis. Plants hold light in the root. That's where they store the light from the, uh, from the sun. 
And so the idea of remaining is another way of saying it is just being rooted in. That's the language of John 15. Remain in me, I in you, and you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Galatians, follow me on this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace is not a goal. Peace is the result of something that you have done already. So if you are rooted in truth, if you're rooted in a promise, and if you're rooted in a righteousness, you are on a path towards shalom in your life and in my life. When I say rooted in truth, this is what I mean. He says, who is the liar? One of the things I love, we, I mentioned Elisa Childers, but she talks a lot about some, you know, the idea that, hey, right and wrong, you know, that's what we spend a lot of time focusing on in our culture. But sometimes right could be this or that. It's subjective because we need wisdom for this. But you know what's not subjective? Truth. Truth and lies. And if you are rooted in truth, you already are, have a leg up on the shalom that he promised you because you are not trying to get your peace from another Christ, from another version that you have recreated. Now, when I think about something like this, it's hard to not just think of this in terms of the how do I say this? It's hard to think of this not just on a national level, right? You've been around me long enough, you know I kind of want to go for it and say, on a, on a national level, we need truth in the halls of government. And I don't back down from that, and I don't apologize for that. If we don't have that peace and shalom in our own hearts, then it doesn't do any good when we get it in government because we weren't in a foundation to begin with. And that's why we see so many leaders that we thought we could count on falling because they weren't rooted in truth, they weren't rooted in the promises, and they weren't rooted in righteousness. And it's hard in the day that we're in because, look, when you talk about truth, people get real uncomfortable. And they get real uncomfortable because the pastor is supposed to love. Right, I'm supposed to love and love my neighbor as myself. 100% true. I don't mean that glib, and I don't mean that uh, dismissively. That is true. But I have another job as well, which is 2 Corinthians 10.5, to destroy the arguments of the evil one. You know what is the most loving thing you or I could do is destroy ideologies that are enslaving people. That's a very loving thing to do. So speaking truth, nationally, speaking truth like civically, locally, is an important thing that we get to, that we have to do. One of the things that um, I mentioned it last week, but I want to quote him again this week, Marshall Foster, The American Covenant. By the way, Amazon.com, if you do not have this book, I can't recommend it highly enough. He tells the story of the history of our nation, of the, the covenant, so to speak, made in 1776. But he says this about our modern, there is no neutral or secular area of life. When we set up an area of institution not acknowledging God's sovereignty, we become an enemy of God and are in rebellion. The public school system in America is a good example. It's not neutral religiously. It has simply exchanged the Christian religion for that of humanism. That's from the American Covenant, the untold story. Now, I say that knowing that in this room that there are teachers who are Jesus followers in our schools right now. I pray that you'll stay there as long as your conscience will allow. That's maybe not that much longer. But as long as your conscience will allow that you can step into there, please stay in there. 
But we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, have to know that at a national level and sometimes a state, there's an indoctrination thing that could happen inside of schools, and so we have to be aware. It's one of the, you know, here's how you know it's actually a good thing when the Washington Post writes a story about something that's a, that's trouble. And there was an article about a month ago, the the, rise, the troubling rise of homeschool in America. And you know, and you and you know what the trouble was. That, that, that they couldn't, they wouldn't learn what the government wanted them to learn. That was literally what they put in the article. Like, well, that's the trouble. Then we're, I feel like we're onto something here, you know? Um, and look, we're, you know, there's private schools, there's homeschools, and there are kids that are in public school right now. You are not failing your family by not having him out of there, but just know that there is a battle going on for the heart and the soul of your child that is about humanism, that's about secularism, and it's the difference between the treaty, the, the covenant of 1789 in France and, and the difference between that and the one in 1776. So at a national level, that's true. We need to talk about those things, okay? But here we are in a room with a bunch of Jesus people that most of you either agree with what I just said or you're about to walk out. Either is fine. Um, if we don't have our own hearts, if we don't have... Christ in our own heart, and instead I have an, my own antichrist in there, then I myself am not going to have that kind of peace, right? What is the, look, what's the best possible testimony of what a godly marriage looks like other than a godly marriage looking like a godly marriage? That's the best sermon I could preach, right, is loving Shannon. Like, that's of sermon that I could preach without even saying a word. Like God's ways in Christ bring shalom into our lives. His, his commands are not burdensome to us. They're a blessing to us. There are many, one of the things as a parent when you think about it, I don't know, Nate, if you've experienced this in your family, your parenting, but it's like, I feel like half my job is helping my kids understand what is a good and what is a bad idea. Do you know what I mean? That's a terrible idea. That's, I know that sounds good on paper, but here's where that's going to go. Like, that's half of parenting, right? And in our world right now, parenting like that in Christ, Christ's commands for us are basically saying, hey, Darren, I know this sounds great on paper. This is going to be a disaster. Don't do that. I designed you. I know how you function. I know how you are wired. And that's why being rooted in truth is the beginning of shalom. Look, I can, I've been at this pastor game, I don't know, 14 years, but I was managing rock bands before that. And by the way, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Y'all are just punk rock in here, man. <laughs> but every back lounge visit, every counseling visit, every, it all starts with somewhere where they weren't rooted in truth and the fruit began to grow and it wasn't what they wanted it to be. And God is so kind and he's so good. And that when he says that the liar is he whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, Christ meaning Messiah, Christ meaning my Savior. And so what I'm getting at is that you might say that I believe that, but your life is not lining up with what you say you believe. So you may be, I'm rooted in truth, but then you just binged four days worth of Netflix. 
I don't say that shamefully. I'm just saying if that's, what, that's actually where your root was put down. So whatever was put in your root, that's what's going to come out on the fruit side. It's just as simple as that. It's literally not a bondage thing. It's not like, I don't know how many of you guys had to burn your CDs in the late 80s. Or I guess it was tapes. I'm sorry. My bad. Do you remember when they'd play them backward? Remember, remember this? You young kids have no idea what you missed in the 80s. Well, actually, we have LPs now. We could play the Taylor Swift record backwards and see what happens. But they'd, did anybody have the guy come into your church whenever he's playing it backwards? Oh, it said Satan. Like, no, it said... I didn't, I didn't hear anything. And then I had to go buy all my CDs back, like when I got to college. I'm like, oh, that was a waste of money. And that's all silly, and we're all laughing about it now because it was kind of silly and it's funny. And yet there was a, there was a seed of truth in it, which is that whatever, wherever my roots, that's going to be my fruits. It's just as simple as that. So one of the things that this 21 days of fasting is, is about what am I got my roots in? And where do I need to pull those roots up and put them back down in the good soil of God's word rooted in truth? One of the things that I talked briefly about last week was that the attempts throughout human history at finding this shalom, finding this life in community and in culture. And the first one that appears in the Bible anyway, is one in the, the book of Genesis when Abraham and his son Isaac went up Mount Moriah. And in Mount Moriah that God told Abram that I will, I will provide myself the ram. Didn't mean I'm going to tractor supply to get you a ram. He's saying I'm going to provide me as the ram, the sacrifice for your sin. Thousands of years later, right? That's when Jesus comes along. But then there's another covenant made on another mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, Moses hikes up there, takes up the, the stone tablets. And for you Monty Python fans, he holds up these 15, drops one, 10 commandments. Okay, there's more Monty Python fans in the 11 a.m., so we need to research why that is. And the 10 a.m., that landed like, I mean, it was a dud. It wasn't even like a grenade where you pull the pin on the joke and it goes off a couple seconds later. It nothing. So anyway, but that was another covenant. And that covenant said, good, th good things, by the way, a lot of what our culture is based on. If you believe that all human life is equal, you don't get that from Islam. If you believe that all human rights are valuable, you sure can't believe that from science because science tells us that the, the strong eat the weak. So if you are saving weak people, you are violating scientific principle. There's no, that morality comes from somewhere, and it comes from Sinai. And when you get done reading Marshall's book, The American Covenant, you can start on Os Guinness's book, The Magna Carta of Humanity, because he speaks specifically of those Ten Commandments as a way of like, it is not self-evident that I shouldn't steal from my neighbor. Like, every culture in the world, that is not self-evident. Don't take his stuff not self-evident, right? Don't have sex with his wife. By the way, that's not a big ask. Like, like, sometimes in our world right now, like, man, that is such a burden. That's not a big ask. Just stay with your wife, right? But the reason that it's so shocking in our culture is it's been shocking throughout history. If you've ever watched any of these old episodes of modern Rome or whatever, and what's the thing, you know, the, the, the sexual immorality is everywhere and it's destroying their lives. But the, in Sinai, we learned that that's not the way that we were designed as humans. 
My marriage is best designed if it's one natural-born man, one natural-born woman. That is what works because that's the way God designed it. And when you start adding on to it, West Africa, they add on to it. I've told you this before, but the first time we were there, we were uh, in this village, and I meet the chief, and I meet his wife, and then I meet his other wife, and then I meet the next wife. Suddenly, there's four wives, and everybody in the village, polygamy was 100% a part of their culture, and you know what it resulted in? was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children working in the fields because one man could not provide for that many women and children. One man and one woman was God's design from the beginning because it's God himself right inside of that. We, the masculine and the feminine, coming together is the best environment. It's just God. His commands are not burdensome. That came from Sinai, not from science. And now let's fast forward. So Sinai happens, and that's, a, that's a, a covenant that says if you keep these commands, then you can be saved. And Jesus would, of course, show us that that was never going to happen. Paul would say that it was like a ruler, a teacher that says, it's like you going to the theme park when you're a kid, and you want to ride this ride, but you got to be this tall, right? But you're not that tall, so you can't get on the ride. All the law was, the Ten Commandments, was to show you you're not tall enough to get on this ride. The covenant. You try to keep it all day long, but you're never going to be able to. But then, hundreds of years after the ascension of Christ, another prophet climbs a mountain named Muhammad. It was Mount Hira near Saudi Arabia. And he makes a covenant with Satan that basically we see God in Christianity as a father. They see God as a slave owner. He's the master, and you are the servants. That relationship is not defined by love. It's defined by obedience period, Mount Hira. And then fast forward to 1789 and the French Revolution, which was based on science and, and uh, the enlightenment and literally obliterating Christian influence, religious influence from anywhere in the world in 1789. Much of what we are experiencing in our culture right now, by the way, is a battle between the principles of 1776 and the principles of 1789. And the science, interestingly enough, the party inside of France that won, that ended up slaughtering countless people after winning the French Revolution, they were called the mountain. There's a thing about mountains through scripture. There's a thing about mountains in life. And if you're climbing the wrong mountain, you're going to get the wrong answer. And what being rooted in promise means is this. There's one more mountain that I didn't mention yet, and that is a mountain that Jesus himself would climb. And his promise, right, is eternal life. He led us for thousands of years try to keep climbing these mountains. He gave us thousands of years to say, yeah, you can try it your way and see how that works out for you. And what do we see, whether it's in the Middle East or in the Midwest, that anything that is not based in a foundation of Christ, in some sort of anti in place of Christ, just ends in more wars and more battles and more division. That's why he said we get to be rooted in his promise, which is eternal life. And that promise came not by me trying to climb Mount Hira. 
It's not me trying to climb the mountains of Nepal to get to the right temple. It was God saying, there are no mountains you can climb. I'm going to have to climb to you. I'm going to come down to you, God in the flesh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have what? Eternal life. And many of you know that, many of you believe that, but if you are rooted in the promise of that, no matter what circumstances you're in right now, there is a shalom, a peace available to you that supersedes your circumstances but does not come from your circumstances. This is a peace that is received, not achieved from our Father, rooted in the promise because if his promise is true, If Mount Moriah, right, he says, I'm going to provide myself the ram, and then he does. He keeps that promise. He says, I'm going to be crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day, and then he does. He keeps that promise. We can trust that he's going to keep his promises to us. He's going to keep his promise to you. And so whatever storms are blowing around in your marriage, in your career, root yourself in the promise not in the problem, and let the Father bring you that peace. And then the last one is this, rooted in righteousness. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. What does righteousness mean? It just simply means right. He's right. The problem of putting your roots in any other form of righteousness is that it always moves. It's one of the things that I I really find laughable when I hear people lecturing us on, well, our culture, now we know more, so our culture, so we need to grow with the culture because the culture changes. And we all know right now, just in our culture alone, that there are television shows that we watched 15, 10 years ago that we thought were hilarious, called The Office, I can name others that couldn't be made today because in literally the last five minutes, everything changed and the culture shifted and you can't say that anymore. So when you're putting your roots in a moving target, your tree's just getting washed downstream. It's not growing at all. It's getting blown over because culture is a terrible place to root yourself. And then, of course, who gets to say which culture wins? My African friends, they hear... Americans talk about colonialism and we need to stop colonialism and I, I totally understand the triggering of it. I get it and it breaks my heart what happened in many of those countries. But you listen to them now and what they say is when your president comes over here and tells us we need to de- redefine morality or we don't get any help and money, that's colonialism. Leave us alone. My favorite quote was from the bishop of the Rwandan Methodist Church who was told that if he didn't change his definition of marriage by an American pastor named Adam Hamilton in Kansas City said, well, maybe we should withhold funding from these churches. And the bishop of Rwanda said, keep your 30 pieces of silver. We're not gonna sell our souls for your money. Point is, who gets to decide what's right? 
If the culture decides, do you understand who that is? It's the one with the most power, the most weapons, the most money. So we're right back where we started, the very thing that most of our brothers and sisters, especially in progressive politics, want, which is to do away with that. But now it's just someone else with more power enforcing the same thing of colonialism. It's just a different version of it. It will never work if it's about culture deciding what is right and what is wrong. And what we have in our hands, or as many of you have in your hands right now, is God's gift to us about what is right and what is wrong. And today, if you've been to a hospital, you've been to a hospital because it was created by Christians in the Middle Ages, right? If you believe that life is valuable, that all life is valuable, that is a Christian principle. There's a book called Dominion. I've talked about it before by Tom Holland, not a Christian, but he went through history and showed us that we are all goldfish swimming in the water that Christianity has created, that our attempts to get rid of Christ and try to hold on to his principles will ultimately fail because you can't have one without the other. That is from a secular author, not a Christian author. We've got to be rooted in righteousness, rooted in what is right. And who gets to define what is right? I know we've had a competition for that in our nation for the last few years of who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and stand with a document that's been around for thousands of years and proved right over and over again. It was this book right here that drove missionaries in the 1800s to get rid of slavery. Okay, That came from here, not from secular humanism. It sure didn't come from Islam, who is still literally to this day enslaving millions of people in Islamic countries, 100% legal in their country because it's 100% supported by their faith. We've got to be rooted not in that righteousness, in any other righteousness, except the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to be very careful as we land this plane to make sure you hear me say, this is not about you and getting salvation by doing what is right. You are saved because he did what is right. Because of the mountain he climbed, Golgotha, that is why we can be clothed in his righteousness, not in my righteousness. There's one more mountain. I just saw it. I was just just in Israel. Just saw the Mount of Olives. Edie's been there with me. Prophecy tells us, Zechariah 14, that one day Jesus going to return. And he's going to set his foot on the Mount of Olives. By the way, not Golgotha, not Moriah, but the Mount of Olives. Why is it the Mount of Olives? Why is it that one that he splits? Says he'll put his foot down, split it right down the middle and create a path north to south. Think about olives. They're used, they're used to make oil. They're used to make anointing oil. What did we just read about? The anointing of the Holy Spirit that you already have. The Mount of Olives still exists, right? Because it's still a picture. This is where Jesus went, Gethsemane, to pray. I mean, it's, this is a very important place, but he's going to split it in two. I think, uh, this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is a, it seems to me that the reason that that's the mountain he chose is because we'll no longer need a anointing from the Holy Spirit smeared upon us, so to speak. That's actually all anointing means, really, smeared on you. It's kind of a funny thing to say, but it's true in the Strong's Concordance. 
We won't need that anymore because we will be living in it. It will be inside of us, all around us. We won't need a a mountain to represent it anymore. So the Mount of Olives being split is Jesus' final statement of saying, you're not climbing any more mountains. I'm breaking them and I'm coming to you. You're not climbing up here to get the oil of the Holy Spirit anymore. It's all yours all the time, north to south. It's going to flow for you. He's going to split it in half and the world peace that we want, that's coming in a future day. But in this day and age, we get to, as Jesus people rooted in truth, rooted in righteousness, right? Rooted in his promise, raising up and loving our own families, like not in place of Christ, but in Christ. And then we get to go about setting little outposts for the kingdom of God here and around the world. For some of you, that means, yeah, there's school board elections coming up. There's all kinds of stuff we want Christians in. And I, look, I know you're going to hear Washington Post and Christianity Today wring their hands over what they call Christian nationalism. But wouldn't it be great if someone was elected into those offices that loved Jesus and have the morals and the things that you want? That's not Christian nationalism. That's just common sense. So maybe God's going to move in you to be rooted in those things and go move into your civic duties here in this community. Maybe it's to continue. I say that again with schools. There's teachers in this room. As long as there are kids in that school and there are Christians who can be there, you're a missionary there rooted in promise, rooted in righteousness, right? That's what we want in our homes, in our cities, and in this world. Because the spirit of Antichrist is here. And there are many people that want to disciple you, starting with TikTok, (laughs) starting with whatever narrative we're seeing everywhere. Don't let that be what your roots are in. Let it be in Christ and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be, right, received, not achieved. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the patience of my friends this morning as we went a little bit longer quite a bit longer. (laughs) Forgive me, Father, for I know not what I do. (laughs) Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they head into this week, rooted in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.